Welcome to Grid Talk, your weekly RC racing podcast with your host, myself, Russell Lee, and of course, and as always, the fantastic Chris Bowden. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good, mate. Good. It seems a, seems a while since we've done one of these because of Christmas. It is, mate. It is. Welcome to 2022. I'm still typing. I'm still typing 2021 at work, you know. Anyway, um, before we get into it, let me say a massive thank you to the sponsors. So, thank you to CML Distribution and, of course, Schumacher Racing, the companies that keep us on air every week and keep us in prizes at Christmas. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate all your help. And thank you, obviously, for the prizes you gave us for Christmas just gone. So, waiting in the wings, we have got um, Superbike racer James Westmoreland. How are you doing, James? You okay? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, no problem. He, he, he's looking he, forward to it. It's great to get an absolute superstar on. So it's pretty uh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we before we get into it, um, Chris, I know I know you wanted to um, speak to the listeners about what 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 you're up to next week. So if you want to go for it now yeah. before we get going. So um, as many of the the listeners, especially UK based listeners, will know that recently we lost one of our sort of RC family patriarchs and that was Chris Yardy so we've been sort of having a bit of a chat about things we could do as a as a sort of in memoriam kind of thing so I've been organising over the last couple of weeks with the the blessing of Tom and Laura a a bit of an event next week which will be held on Tuesday at 8pm and it'll be a Facebook live and the plan will be to hold a blind auction. Um, again, we've had some absolutely massive generosity from um, people in the RC community. We've got some big prizes, one of which is very kindly donated by Schumacher Racing and Robin at Schumacher Racing personally, I'll add. Um, Tom and his dad spent a lot of time at Schumacher, as they did with a few other teams as well. Um, and the bit, this big prize is massive. It is the winner's choice between an LD1, no, sorry, an LD2, and a Storm uh, stadium truck. So whoever wins that gets their choice of whichever one they have, and it'll ship directly from Schumacher to them. Uh, we've got some other great prizes. We've got bat safes, courtesy of. Inside line, Paul Crompton and Janice Crompton all up there. We've got a Schumacher drift car, which was obviously donated by Roger Mills after he won it last week in the uh, in the Christmas raffle. Did he know he was donating it? Or uh, I kind of told him. <laughs> Brilliant. There wasn't there wasn't yeah. much of a question. Okay. Um, we've got one of the Centro soldering irons that was donated. Uh, we've got a a voucher for a custom paint job from Paul Upton at Puppy Paint um, that'll be obviously you supply the body shell he paints it you're sorted uh, Rush you've kindly donated a few uh, ride height gauges I have personally I'm, yes yeah I'm going to have a little flick through the CML website and decide what I'm picking as a donation from me we've got some FF racing vouchers and we've got some titanium motor screws from Rude Bits and if anybody else wants to donate, feel free to get in touch with me. So how will the how will the prize draw be done, mate? Just briefly. Right. So you come on and we'll do lots. Now a traditional auction, you get the chance to see what lot you're bidding on. But this is our blind auction, so you don't know what's in that lot. So there could be five lots. One of them will contain the choice of a storm or an LD two. The other will be combinations of other prizes. So you could bid £80 and get a £345 full race bread car, or you could bid £80 and get a pack of motor screws. There's a little bit of risk in it, but I'm hoping that for the cause it is, and what we're trying to do, everybody will be as generous as they can be. And are you going to do this as a Facebook Live? Yeah, so it's a Facebook Live. I'll be sat at my desk next week. Um, I think uh, either Tom or Laura are going to try and pop into the live chat. Obviously, you're going to join the live chat, aren't you, Russ? Oh, I will come in for a while, yes, I'll be there. And uh, give people some stick for not bidding. Um, 
yeah, so I'm hoping a few more prizes come in as well. I'm still waiting on a few responses, but it is all for a good cause. And I suppose it, it's not what you can get, it's what you can leave behind in it. And like I said, Chris left a lot behind for us all. And I don't think people actually realise how much he helped um, UKRC in general, really. So, yeah, it'll be really good. We're aiming to try and get a a memorial bench with a plaque that can be put at Kidderminster um, in the spot that Chris always used to sit on one of the old plastic chairs. But we feel that a nice thing would be to have a proper a proper wooden bench so it, it's there forever then. Yeah, sounds cool, man. Cool. All right, and that's going to be Tuesday at 8pm, do you say? Yeah, Tuesday at 8pm, yeah. and I'm going to remind everybody again at the end of the show cool. uh, just to make sure, and I'm going to plaster it all over the Facebook page. Sad. Right then. Let's get on with our guest, James. Thank you for waiting patiently yeah. through that and our one-take podcast. No problem. Oh, I thought you'd gone then. No, no, no problem at all. <laughs> I thought Russ had muted you. <laughs> Let me give you a, an, um, an intro. So, obviously, listeners, this is James Westmoreland. He's um, a super competitive RC club racer um, running the associated brand and also just, like, kind of not really a big deal... Um, a professional super bike racer um, from England who has had past experience in like um, British super bikes and British super sports and um, he's currently running in the World Endurance Championship um, the last time we spoke James was um, 2019 um, just after you won the, the 24 hour uh, Le Mans race that year yeah that's that's right um, so yeah to be honest, I've never really processed what happened in that race, if that makes sense. I've never, um, yeah, I've never processed I, it. I always, I, it's still a blur. I always ask the fast boys this um, uh, when they've had a really good result. Did you expect it um, uh, to, to be, not, not to win, but to be up there for the win with the team? Really strange story. So 2018, it was like, I was in a really bad place. I rode for a poor team and you start to question yourself and you're just not in a good place, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't have a ride for BSB in 2019. And to me at that point, BSB was everything. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm done. You know, I'm, yeah. that's it. That's the end. And I'd always like looked at endurance, but I had no idea how to get there, um, anything about it. The thought of riding for that long, terrified me and i was like oh my god like i'm gonna have to go insurance racing yeah and uh, i managed to get a good ride and well when i say a good ride i managed to get a ride and then i realized that i'd actually got a really good ride yeah um so we did a little bit of testing and we weren't too far off and then as the weekend went on um practice qualifying we were there or thereabouts really and i was like oh do you know what maybe we can have we can have a bit of a do. Yeah. And then the race started, man. Honestly, I, I didn't really, I just knew, I, I didn't know nothing about endurance. And I was so naive and um, it's it's such a specialist thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and luckily I had a really, really good mentor in the team who was a team manager that taught me so much in such a short space of time. And the race started and we were there or thereabouts and then, you just waited for something to go wrong and nothing went wrong, you know. It was the most perfect race we could have done. Obviously, from a physical point of view, it was so difficult and a mental point of view. It was so hard. But, yeah, we we won the Superstock class at, at Le Mans 24-hour, which at the first attempt was was incredible, you know. We didn't, we didn't make one mistake. Nothing went wrong. Not one yeah. thing. And I remember, like, the elation of winning it. And then quite soon after, it was like, oh, my God, I could come here for the next 10 years and not be able to repeat this because it was such an amazing race. And that feeling was really strange, you know. It was it was really hard to to understand that. How long were your stints for like each, each time you rode the bike in the race? So 50 minutes. 50 minutes and then you swap riders, yeah? You swap, yeah. yeah. And you've probably got an hour and – well, you've got an hour and 40 until you're back on the bike. Honestly, by the time you've 
took your leathers off, um, had a shower, seen the physio, had some food, had a little debrief. You're getting back in your leathers and you're going to get... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, an hour and 40 sounds quite long, but honestly, it's not. Yeah. It's not I as mean, all. No, I mean, Christ, an hour and 40 in between uh, between races at RC and we're like, God, this is a long wait. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, yeah. yeah. You've been to the Tuck Van twice and then you're... Well, I mean, well, Russ has, obviously. And I, <laughs> so, I mean, and obviously, um, doing that, did you get um, off the off the back of that year? You you got back into well, uh, British Superbikes? Yeah, so... Um, Do you think that had a lot to play in the part, or...? Not, not at all, no. So, I did a few endurance races during 19, and then the team that I'd spent two or three years with previous in BSB needed, they needed a rider for the last four rounds, I think. Um so I agreed to come back and do it and to be honest it was okay I was straight back on the podium and just kind of where I finished off the year before and and yeah they wanted me to stay for 2020 yeah um so yeah I had another full year back in BSB but the endurance thing kind of stalled in 2020 because of the covid thing and traveling and quite a lot of the races got cancelled so i didn't actually ride an endurance in 2020 just in bsp yeah so yeah that was that was that year really that's crazy yeah, i mean to be honest mate i'm i'm kind of a little bit in awe of the bike stuff because i mean they li- i'm i'm not a biker in any way they kind of scare the living <laughs> hell out of me um you know like when you see you see them come off and they slide along the on their ass and stuff and then they're going into the gravel or you see them at like what's the road races like the tt tt yeah yeah and they come off and they're sliding but it's not on gravel it's straight into a wall and it's just like nope never want to get on any of them ever again i'll stick to rc cars yeah but honestly like the tt is quite specialist um but like bsb and endurance the tracks are all now pretty safe if that makes sense yeah um you know, the tracks we race on in World Endurance are all world-class tracks that MotoGP race at, and you, you're pretty safe. You know it's, I mean? it's not a lot of riding on the road, is it? I mean, you know, it's not like you're going to hit a lamppost or a kerb when you're sliding yeah, down the road. Sure. That's, the, that's, that's the big difference, um, isn't it? I mean, like you said about doing Le Mans, I mean, what's it get like going down that massive straight? Because eventually that straight stops being the racetrack, doesn't it? And it becomes... For the cars, okay. but not the bikes. So the bikes use oh, the, smaller, okay. the smaller, like, um, permanent track, if that makes sense. Ah, oh, so okay. So yeah, you a, don't do the long straight. There's a couple of corners that are the same, but most of the track's different, if that makes sense. I see. I thought it was... I was thinking, Christ, going down that straight, and it, when you watch it, it's bumpy in a car, so what would it be like on a bike when you... No, you've been so on it. the, the bike is a smaller GP track. Right, okay. So there you go, you learn something new every day. Yeah. <laughs> so but yeah. The, the the spectacle of Le Mans is amazing. The the audience, the crowd, and like, yeah, it's, in, it's such an atmosphere. It's absolutely incredible. That's the bit that kind of makes a race is the atmosphere, you know? Yeah, it's... Like I said, I'm in awe of it. It's... It's mental to me, like what you guys. <laughs> so, how did you get? What came first, then RC cars uh, racing or, or bike racing? Bike racing. Um, so, I was I was just brought up around bikes. You know, when I was three, three, four years old, my all my family have raced. My both my granddads, my dad, and my uncle. Yeah. But then, when I was kind of like a toddler, my uncle was coming towards the end of his career yeah um so like i remember getting dragged around with my uncle spending a lot of time in race paddocks and and just being around bikes from a really early age um and then my dad got me like a small off-road motocross bike and it kind of just went from there really so because you did um i think we um, not that I've been on your Wikipedia page today, James. Um, but you did schoolboy motocross for like five years, um, and then you ended up racing one two fives in Spain. Yeah. So how, how does that come about? I did motocross 
well, I started riding when I was like three or four, but I couldn't race till I was six or seven. Yeah. And then that was until this. To be honest, I was I was okay at motocross, but I wasn't fantastic, if that makes sense. Um, I was never gonna be any good. Like I was I was okay, but I was yeah. never gonna be a British Championship level rider. Um, and there was never a plan. Um, and then it was the end of 2000, start of 2001, we had the foot and mouth crisis. Yeah. And basically it just stopped motocross in its tracks. And obviously it's all on farmer's land and, and things like that. So it was just, everything was cancelled. Um, so it was like, what we're going to do, you know? So dad had said about, let's, do you fancy doing a bit of road racing, you know? And I was like, well, we can try it. It was never the plan, even though all my family had done it. It was never the goal, really. Um, and it just went from there, really. And then, yeah, 2001, two, three, four, just moving up the ranks from club racing to, to British Championship. In I did my first British Championship in 03, and then had a full season in 04. Um, and yeah, in the 05, I did the British Championship and Spanish Championship. So that was a really busy year between between here and, and Spain so, so, so every you, other week. So you, you commuted know. to Spain every other weekend on a, or flew over sort of thing? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. We had quite a few trips in the van or, um, yeah, I'd fly. It just depended because I think I was still at school. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I remember it was quite a hectic that, that must hectic have been time. An, really. That must have been an expensive year, man. <laughs> yeah, really. Ex- <laughs> the thing was... Just still paying uh, for it now, <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> The thing was, in 2005, I was really competitive in the British 125 Championship. Yeah. Um, like, really competitive. And it's really hard to race in the UK and find a... The goal in, at the end of 05 was to try and find a way to get to Grand Prix. Yeah. And in 125s. And the only way to do that was to go to Spain, really. Um. So I was winning in England, and I was the benchmark, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I needed to ride with better people to become better, and that was in Spain. Um, so we went to Spain for the year and learned a lot, and then when I come back to England, I really noticed how much it brought you on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the dream <laughs> didn't really hit. It wasn't... We weren't far away. The problem was I was a little bit old, if that makes sense. Really? Because you've done a couple of yeah. seasons elsewhere? Not not that, but at the time. So Dor- there's a company called Dorna that run MotoGP. Yeah. And at that time, they were looking for young Brits to, to come in. And there was a couple of Brits that um, were a couple of years younger than me. And at the time, I was 16, 17, and they were... 14, 15, and yeah, I was past my sell by date, and, and that was that really. So, um, the pesky kids getting quicker and quicker all the yeah. time, you know. Uh, like, that was a big a big kick in the nads, really. And, and we had to change the plan quite a lot because it was evident that the MotoGP thing was, was never going to happen, really. Yeah. So, so, so obviously, you, so you just continued then into, um, like, because you did 600 next, didn't you? After the 125s. Yeah, from 125 to Supersport. Um, so, I had a, my first proper year in Supersport was 07, and then I stayed until 2010. Um, fought for the championship in 2009 and 10, and then Superbikes in 2011. So, that was my first year in, in BSB, you know? Yeah. What's it, how... how, how... How easy is it to? Um, I'm sorry, listeners. We will get onto RC in a bit. I promise you. But I'm just fascinated. You know, when you say you go out like looking for a ride or whatever, or you decide where you're going to be next year, is is it like a job interview? Do people come up to you and go whisper in your ear, going, "Do you fancy coming to us next year?" Or do you have to go knocking on their door saying, um, "Have you got anything?" How, how how does it work? Is there a, a set pattern? You know what I mean? I'm just... Um, the hardest thing about what we do is at the end of every year you basically lose your job yeah <laughs> so every october november you're basically sacked and 
need to try and find a new job for the following year. Yeah. Wow. That's that's like the reality of it. Um, but this is probably where the sports changed a lot from like when I started to where it is now because now if if you're fast and you've got no money, you're not of interest to anyone. But if you're not so fast and you've got a big budget, you're of massive interest to teams, if that makes sense. Because they can, yeah, cause, yeah, because they'll, yeah, pay to pay to win or pay to ride sort of thing. Yeah, and this is where it's changed a lot, and not for the better, if that makes so sense. Is this why some people at the back of the superbike grid aren't even on the same page as the the people at the front? Oh, for the only reason, you yeah, know? yeah. Um, yeah, 100%. No, no. As as is all forms of motorsport now, you know, it's so expensive. It's hard for teams to raise the budget that they need. Yeah. You know, it, it is very, very difficult for any teams to go out there and, you know, bike racing, a quarter of a million quid. You say it like it's nothing, but it's a hell of a lot of money. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. And then you go up to MotoGP and... Formula One, and you know it's it's the same all over. It's not just in bikes. The Mazepin situation, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, it's like I say, it's it's a difficult time for for all businesses and companies and racing, and yeah, it is difficult, and they need to find a way to fund it. You know? Yeah, it's crazy, man. So, when did you get started in RC then? Was that a, was that a bit of bit of fun to pass the time? Or? <laughs> to be honest, I, I can't really remember, but I'd say probably when I was around ten, eleven. No, maybe a little bit older, maybe eleven or twelve. I always had some RC cars, and um, I did a little bit of racing at a club near me. I think it was like touring car racing. Um, but nothing serious, you know, like. Just for fun. And, just club racing. Uh, yeah, occasionally. But I always liked it, but I also had a lot of other stuff going on with my bike racing. Yeah. Um, and I needed my parents to take me and drop me off and pick me back up, and it kind of fizzled out, I think, um, after not so long. But I always had an interest in it. Um, and then I think it was the winter of, 2013 yeah the winter of 2013 so after a bike season's finished you've kind of got four or five months where you sat around twiddling your thumbs and i just got lucky one day and i thought right i'm gonna buy an rc car i had no idea what i was looking at what classes people rate i had no idea you know yeah so i think i went on the model sport website and just ordered what i thought looked good and and that was it really um but yeah i had no idea what i was doing i was terrible and uh, yeah it took a long while to to figure it out really did you join a local club or anything when you when you got back when you started yeah so york was my local club at the time um yeah and i seem to remember just just rocking up and trying to figure it out but yeah my wheels were all like I had no idea even how to build the car correctly or what I was doing. My driving was a... Tra- Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It was just a nightmare, really, to start with. It is horrible. <laughs> but, I mean, you're getting around now. You, obviously, you, 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 you got to the point now where you can not worry about things like that and you're just uh, enjoying yourself. Yeah, for sure. Like, I remember when I started and uh, I remember my first meeting. And the, the problem I have is that I'm pretty competitive, you know? Yeah. And I remember, like, when I was turning left and right, I almost had to stop to think about which way I had to turn. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. But obviously, I've improved a little bit since then. Um, but, yeah, no, it just takes time, doesn't it, to to figure it out and understand it and, and go from there, really. Yeah. So you've been doing the, the, the Schumacher Zoom series this year or, or some of them when you can fit it in? I think I just did the one, yeah. Oh, right, I think okay. I just did Mend It. Yeah, I just did Mendip, I think. That's bad prep for me, isn't it? You went all right at Mendip, though, didn't you? Yeah, to be honest, I'm actually going okay now, really. Um, So I didn't touch, trying to think, 
I, I didn't touch my car for over a year because of the COVID thing. From yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think when it be, I get confused with the years, but yeah, it'd be a good 12, 13, 14 months where I didn't do anything. And then the start of this year, I started again and I was like, oh, do you know what? I'm, I've, I've improved without doing anything a little bit. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy with how I go around with, because I don't really have the time to dedicate to it, if that makes sense, which annoys me. Um, I would like to be better than what I am, but I, I don't think I'm doing too bad at the minute, if that makes sense. Well, no, as long as no, you, I'm, I think you. I, sure, I, I thought you, you were going pretty you, well. You paint yourself down, mate. You know what I mean. Um, obviously, you work, you're not going to be world level, are you? But you know, you you you're a lot better than you're giving yourself credit for right now. So yeah. Have you I've, have you raced anywhere else this year? Yeah. So, I've, what have I done? I've done the Zoom series at Mendip. Um, quite a lot of club rounds at Tiverton. Yeah. And then this, to be honest, the best time of the year for me is winter because i'm home and i can kind of i've got a bit of time to commit to it yeah um so what have i done this winter i've done all of the talky the track um round yeah and all of the mid devon ones as well yeah track's a good one isn't it um, yeah I, I, like, I, like, I like the rostrum there it's absolutely class isn't yeah, it it's so high. yeah yeah and then at the weekend, at the weekend, I was at Mid Devon and I made the A, so I was I was quite chuffed at that. That was um, that was a good day for me, really. Yeah, definitely, my class. Have you ever been to TV, um, the the Torquay meetings, Chris? Uh, no, mate. I don't tend to get down the, to many down south meetings. I don't know why. The rostrum is actually a balcony, so you just walk up the stairs, round this corner up, and and you like stood on the top of a massive balcony to. Um, Imagine it's like a, like a spectator's balcony to watch the football, uh, an indoor football match, something like that. It's really good. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, sounds sounds pretty uh, pretty different. Like, you know, it's funny. I just don't tend a, to get down south. You get a totally different perspective of like the car as well from from being so high up. It's like everything changed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you can see a lot yeah. more of the track as well, can't yeah, you? Or not, not, not much of the track, but the action. You can see where people are closer or not, you know. Yeah, it takes a bit of adjusting to, you know. Yeah. So uh, I hear you're, you, you've you've got your ladder, a race car? Yeah, so my girlfriend's little boy. Um, yeah, I've got him a B6.2 for Christmas. Um so yeah, he showed a bit of an interest in it, and uh, to be honest, he's been coming along to watch, and I think he likes meeting the other little kids that are racing, and then they go off and do whatever between the races, and yeah, he's, he showed an interest, so I thought I'll get him a car and, and see how it goes, really, so um, yeah, he got that at Christmas, I put the electrics, finished putting the electrics in it yesterday, and then he's he's made his debut tonight in the range car park, Um could he keep so, it? Could he keep it in a straight line? It, to be honest, he was quite good. I've, I showed it to one of my friends from RC Racing. And he was like, "Oh, fair play." He's actually for his first go. You know, he's he's not too bad. He was doing figure of eights and then like a bit of a slalom coming towards him. So he knew coming back towards him which way to turn, if that makes sense. So um, well, yeah, off, I was quite impressed. Really, he's halfway there then, mate. Yeah. So uh, he'll probably beat me at his first meeting, I think. Yeah. <laughs> He's so humble, mate. <laughs> so I mean, you're pretty well known for like having like ridiculously prepped cars, like and a pit table. I don't think I've ever seen like a driver not parallel on your pit table. It's like <laughs> honestly, it's laid out like a geometry puzzle. But what are you going to be like having to look after two now at a meeting? I know, I've thought about this. I'm going to have to be like quite well prepared, I think. <laughs> Chris, yeah. Like, if, yeah, if you haven't ever seen James's pit table, it's like, <laughs> honestly, mate, it take, it take, you've seen Freddie Russell's pit table. This takes anal to another level. It's like every, every driver is like equidistant apart, you know, parallel to each other. I just hate mess. Like, I hate mess. I and remember. I just, 
I remember I just, like simple. I know what I'm what I'm doing, you know. I remember the one of the first meetings I ever met you at was the Reams Euros. Yeah. And Jason Green and me walked over and I told you, I'm like, what is this guy doing? He's just come off the track. He's just in his marshal. He's picked his car up. He's come back upstairs. And before he t- takes the body shell off his car or does anything, he's got like a brush cleaning his table off. <laughs> <laughs> Why like, haven't I heard these stories before? <laughs> I was like, surely you clean your table off after you've cleaned all the shit off your car. <laughs> I didn't think yeah. that was that bad, to be fair. Oh, no, mate, your pit table is like, I only dream of being able to keep my pit table like that. I go to a meeting and I have this I think I will keep my pit table clean. And then about 30 seconds after practice, it looks like I've organised my pit box with a hand grenade. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes when I'm walking around and I see people's tables, I'm like, oh my God, how yeah. could you like... Yeah. Well, feel free anything. to come and clear my pit table. <laughs> I'll, I'll, give you, it. I'll give you... I can give you a first-hand experience of what club racing is like with a... I mean, my lad's six, so I'll say, you know, club racing with a six-year-old is... Each round is they race, you marshal for them, you race, you marshal for yourself, you go back, you fix the damage to their car and literally <laughs> put change the batteries in both your cars and then you're walking back up to, to get them back on the rostrum again. And that, that that's, that's every kiddie summer series for me. <laughs> Everyone. The region wasn't bad because there's a few more heats, but man, yeah, at the, at the summer series, it's relentless. It's absolutely relentless. Thanks for telling me that. I was I just, just, just bedding you in for it, mate, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, it's, 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 it's a great crack, mate. Honestly, it's brilliant. Um, I, I mean, with your lad being a bit older, you'd probably have to marshal a safe corner, you know, because, um, you know, you normally marshal on your numbers. Yeah. But what I do is, with, with race control at the, at the start of the... He, the first, when he's supposed to marshal I'll look where he's supposed to be and if it's not a, a good position I'll move him and I'll just yeah, ask the marshal on point 10 at the top of the straight just to swap up, swap for the daylight you know what I mean um, that's, that's a good way and then that they can then marshal then rather than being in the end of the straight or the middle of the track where they're looking up four ways <laughs> before they've got to move out like yeah for sure I think yeah. it's difficult isn't it you know I think because um... they want to do it but you just got to look after their safety. <laughs> yeah, but like I remember when I started, and I didn't have a clue when I was twenty-five years old or whatever, you yeah. know. So um, yeah, it's, it's hard, isn't it, when you when you're little and you've got everything to figure out. And but I'm sure they learn quick, and uh, I oh, think it'll be okay. Love, you know, love it, mate. He will absolutely love it. Yeah, I think it'll be okay. Yeah, I think it's a great hobby to get into. It teaches people so much, like. I mean, you look at how many people in our hobby have gone on to do, like, massive things in, like... I mean, I I personally know of three people who work for the Mercedes F1 team. Yeah. One one that ditches us at Christmas to go and work for Red Bull. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, one that's off to learn motorsport at university. It's, it opens up so many life skills. Like, I wouldn't know how to do stuff like solder. If it yeah. wasn't for this hobby, it, it does. It yeah. opens up so much um, other life skills and avenues into actual work that you might enjoy. Yeah, for sure, hundred percent. I agree with you there, definitely. Have you got any um, speaking of like prep and things like that? Have you got any prep you do? I, I know it's weird because I suppose uh, when you're you're off racing superbikes at the weekend, you I've got, I've got a full team of mechanics that are sorting the bike for you. But is there any like prep things you, you, that cross over for for yourself, like um, with the way you want the car set up, or I don't know? Um, is there any rituals you do before you get on your motorbike? Before like, you do similar really. on the car. I just like when I'm RC racing, I just try and keep it simple if yeah. that makes sense I try not to overcomplicate it and like there's more to come from me driving than there is changing something yeah. if, like sometimes you have to change something but I try and keep it as simple as I can um, and just yeah mainly keep sure make sure my car's in do you know what I mean in good order and everything's tight and yeah, sometimes you see people and the wheels are falling off and this is falling off and that's falling off and you think, geez, it's not that difficult, you know? So I always mm. make sure everything's locked tighted and just well prepared, really. Yeah, that's a good way, mate. 
Good way. So, do you, think, do you think constantly being in that sort of race frame of mind helps? Not necessarily with the like the the physical, you know, this nut and bolts tightened up, but the the mental side of it. Because I think, although it, you know, inverted air quotes, it is only toy cars. You know, it is there is a, an aspect of it when you get to some of the the races that matter, like at a national when it's your last qualifier and you've got this is your last chance to make a final higher than you've ever been before. To get out the bottom final for me, yeah? Well, for <laughs> us and me, yeah. How <laughs> hey, did you do a Euros if you're in the bottom final? How what, sorry? How did you, get to, how did you do a Euros if you're in the bottom final? <laughs> I don't think, I think I got out the bottom final, yeah? <laughs> did I? I don't know. Because um, you must have done, done a season of nationals then to get to be able to race at the Euros. Uh... I don't know. I don't know how I got an entry, really. I'm I'm not too sure. I don't. I, I did some nationals. Yeah. Um. But I think in Reims, I don't think I was in the bottom. Fi- I want in the bottom final in Reims. I'm sure. No. Yeah, I'm sure I got out of it. Yeah, Can you remember, Chris? Uh. I, I genuinely can't remember. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I wanted. I think I was in the one up from bottom. I don't. I I genuinely don't know. Um, were you not in the same one with me, Jason, and Ian? Maybe, Lippen? maybe. Just to point it out, where I, I did Jason on the. So last you see, so, so you telling me you travel, you travelled all the way to the Euros in France and raced against the same people you race against every Sunday? <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what we all did. Ironic. Honestly, the British final. You know, in that final, in that final, there was me, Jason Green, Ian Litley, Brian Preddy, I think James. There was literally like it was was like a West Midlands regional, mate. It wasn't even a club race. It was just like a regional, and then I think it was a slot and Uri hoodie. Yeah, I seem to remember that. Yeah. That but that was it. It was like it was by. You know, so it was a good. It was. It was it a good event? No, but was it a laugh? And was there plenty of stories? Yeah. Can you remember how hot it was? It was ridiculous, and you turned up Unbelievable. in like. Unbelievable. You turned up in like the poshest bloody motorhome ever, and you were going for like showers in between every round. <laughs> I told you it was a big deal, Chris. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd been racing at Brands Hatch. Um, so we went straight from Brands because it wasn't that far actually. So um, it was literally just over the border. Well, it was literally just over France. Two or three hours the other side, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it was a good event. I'm glad that I did the one in Italy. I think the year before or the one before that. So I was glad that I've done two of them. You know. Did you do the one? You didn't do the one after, did? Yeah, you did the Italy before. I did the Italy after. At Pinerolo. Yeah, because they did Pinerolo yeah. before, then they went to Reims, and then they went to. Um, then Ian wasn't that. Reims was where the Worlds was meant to be held, wasn't it? And then it wasn't held there because of the farce that the Euros was. Yeah. So they stepped down from holding, and it went to the Hoodie Arena. Yeah, that I seemed to remember. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, it was it was a hard it was hard and they wouldn't open the bloody roof, so you were like sweating. It was forty five degrees where we were pitting. That's mental. In a, tin, in a tin shed. It was like if you imagine like going and standing in a tin in a tin can and not having any ventilation. I thought it was. I remember everyone was going out to buy fans and that, yeah. Yeah. It was so warm. It was oh it was ridiculous. Yeah, but they were kicking off at the track, weren't they? Because we weren't buying the food from there. They were like, everybody's going over to McDonald's. But yeah, we're only going to McDonald's because they've got air conditioning. (laughs) That was it. Mental. So, I'm just looking through my list of questions here, gentlemen, to see what else we can do. Um, Okay, so... Tell us a bit about your um, superbot racing for this year. Um, what's the plan? Who's the team? Who are your teammates? Is anyone we'd, we'd know in the team or recognise uh, names of? So, 20, 
20 was my last year in BSB. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to be honest, it's been coming for a bit, but something had to change because the BSB thing's no longer sustainable, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the fact that you can well, challenge how, for... How old are you now? Sorry, just briefly. Uh, 33. Oh, okay. Yeah. The fact that you can challenge for a British Supersport Championship and 100% be on the podium most, if not the majority of race weekends, doesn't doesn't really come into it now, if that makes sense. So you still got to take some money into, or some, yeah, or some sort of say money in sponsorship, in I suppose. Yeah, and it, you know, I've grown up quite a bit in the last few years. I've bought my own house and. I'm no longer like life changes. And yeah. I need to earn money racing motorbikes, not spend money racing motorbikes. If <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, absolutely. So it, when you look at it, it just doesn't add up, and yeah, it's, it's just wrong. Um, so yeah, I had to do something different from BSB, really. So I have a staff or I race elsewhere. Yeah, um, and then for. 2021 i i got a really really good deal with uh, a french um like a prep when i say privateer they're, they're not a factory team yeah but they're but, not, yeah, but, they're, they're, but they ain't privateers i know what you mean <laughs> they're yeah. not privateers. yeah so they spend a million quid a year to go racing but yeah. um they're, they're the next best team from a factory team yeah um, but it's a really strange position, to be honest, because <laughs> I'm the fourth rider for the team and only three riders make the race. Yeah. So I'm like the, I'm the fourth rider um, and I'm there in case I'm needed. Yeah. And I get to, I get to ride in practice qualifying, but I don't always make the race. Yeah. Um, but you're still making a, a living doing it. So <laughs> that's fine. Isn't it? It's a really, really, really strange position because... Yeah. I want to race so bad. Yeah. Um, but I can. So how does it... I can I can earn a good li- I can earn a better living being a fourth rider for someone than I can for a main rider for someone else. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So how does it? Um, um, how do you? How do you get to do the race? I suppose is what I'm asking. So would it be say for one of those guys? Um, I don't know, got injured or fell sick or yeah, um, it's sure nothing. That... To, it's nothing to do with these fastest in qualifying on the Saturday. No, honestly not. Um, because our contracts for the team are all different, and yeah. my contracts to be the fourth rider. So okay. it's only fair on the other three yeah. that they all start the race. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if somebody breaks a wrist or an arm, injures himself, gets sick the night before the race um yeah loads of different things really um i just have to be ready to go that's um, class man is that like a, a year by year contract is it all um, yeah yeah same, same, same as, as always i was really happy there last year and they were happy with me and yeah it was we both wanted to continue really um for sure i want to be a race rider for the team um but there's such a nice it's a really strange thing and yeah. so, I've I've raced for so long but I've never found a team that are genuinely decent people. And even though they're from a different country and speak a different language, they're really, really nice, genuine people and it's just a privilege to go racing in the correct way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you're going to some massive races this year, 24-hour Le Mans, 24-hour Baldor, and you've got Spa as well. Yeah, we've got a 24-hour at Spa. My God. And then we've got, well, we're meant to have a Suzuka 8-hour in Japan, and then I think an 8-hour in Indonesia as well. Jesus. um, And then there's a there's a test before each one of them races, which, you know, so all of a sudden you think, oh, there's only five races. There's actually like 10, 11 events. And yeah. if you fly into Japan twice, it's it's quite a big thing, you know. Yeah, so when you run um, the practice and the, the qualifying, do you have to do a night session as well? Yeah, we do a night session at every race. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah. so what's it, what's it like, what are the headlights like on... 
on on a, on a on a on a superbike then. So it's like you're going through Eau Rouge at Spa, you know, down and up the hill. Can you see anything? Yeah, they're okay. Um, so when you first ride at night, it feels like you can't see anything. And however many times you ride at night, it always feels the same. And you like in night practice, you only probably get like six laps each. You don't yeah. get lo- loads of laps. And then you're like, oh my god, I've got a race now. And then honestly, by the time you get to the race and it gets dark and you've probably done what are you three o'clock? Man, then six, seven hours into the race, you've done yeah. that many laps that you don't even really notice it's dark. And you know where you're going, you know where you change gear, you know where to brake, and without looking, it happens if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's always the same at every race, and then in the middle of the night, you forget it's even dark, you know. Yeah, is it weird? Um, say if you go out um, at night, it's pitch black, and you come out like a light, ga- like a, a lit up garage. Does it take your eyes long to adjust, or you just, or you, as soon as you leave the pit lane, going on senses of yeah, muscle memory and stuff. Bit. But there's a few little tricks. So um, sometimes at night, before a stint, I'll sit in the garage with my sunglasses on. Yeah, and just to like try and make your eyes adjust better. Um, and yeah, when you go out on the bike, it, it seems to help a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's always a strange thing, you know, like two o'clock in, in the morning when you just want to go to bed and you're absolutely knackered, rolling down pit lane thinking you've got, you, got you, around you, the dark. You do 200 miles an hour. flat out. <laughs> it's such a surreal thing, yeah. you know. How, um, how flat out is flat out on an endurance bike compared to like a, a 20 minute, well, I suppose you call a, a, a British Superbike race, a sprint race, wouldn't you really know? How flat out are you compared to that that race? I'd say you're at ninety ninety five percent. I'd say. Oh, so you're still yeah, you're still going for it. You're not cruising around. Yeah, you, you know about it, but obviously you've got to like if it's a twenty four hour, you've got to make sure you can do nine stints pretty good. You know. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, you've got to save a bit of energy as well. So will the I feel like I'm going on here, but I'm just fascinated by it. You know, um, so will the Will the the crew give you a lap time to to, to do? So I oh, know we want one minute thirties, please, and then uh, and then you try and do them, or how does it work? Or you just just go for it as soon as you leave the pit lane? Um, yeah, you'll have a bit of a target lap time. Yeah, you'll have a bit of a target lap time, but it depends on the conditions. It depends on traffic, and there's so many other variables. If that makes sense. Yeah, is there a much is there much of a speed difference on the endurance races? Is the do they run only one one size engine, or do they run different um, different engine sizes in the same in the same race? Because it's a twenty four hour race, different classes. No, I suppose. so basically they're all thousand cc and it's super bike and super stock. Yeah, but the difference between them isn't so much, if I'm honest. Yeah, but the amazing thing about endurance racing, incredible. And it it still blows my mind. Is like, take Le Mans for example. At the front of an endurance race, it's as factory as factory can get. Yeah. You know, like the bikes are just dripping in the best stuff of everything. That money can't buy. Yeah. And at the back, it's like it's like club racing. Yeah. Looks like something you could pick up at the Honda showroom down the road. Yeah. Like. It's like someone's just gone on eBay and bought some pile of rubbish and they've turned up with a few of the mates. Having the time and, of their lives yeah, <laughs> on a wreck. and they're sleeping in tents at the back of the paddock and it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. The, the difference, you never see it anywhere else. No, they're, 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 guys out there living the dream. <laughs> but, but then on track, you know, from from the best to the worst lap of a factory team is is nothing but the guys at the back, when they they have bad laps, it's so bad, and the wobbler, you know, when they're tired and it's dark, and yeah. you've got to be really careful, you know, really yeah. really careful. Yeah, is is a do you have? Um, I'm really going on with random questions now. Sorry, do oh, you? No, it's fine. Uh, I love it. Um, do you know when you're coming up behind someone? Is, is do they have a different colour light or anything? So you know which is a super stock and which is a top boy or. No, no, not at all. Everyone uh, from behind, everybody looks the same, really. You yeah. get to, it's really strange the way the stints work. You normally find yourself on track, like 
if everybody sticks to the same plan, you're normally on track with the same people every stint that yeah. you're out. Yeah. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah. So you, yeah, so you could probably see him. Yeah. Yeah. You'd see some people like loads, and then other people you'd never see on race. Yeah. Just the way the timing works, you know. Yeah. So when does your season start? Um. So we have a team building event in France at the end of February. Yeah. And then we go straight to Spain um, for testing. And then we've got quite a busy schedule in March, actually, with testing. And our first race is Le Mans in April. So, yeah, it seems like once you get into winter, it seems like there's loads and loads of time. But it comes around really fast. And uh, already we're starting to plan. Training hard, mate. Yeah, we're starting to plan February already. And it's going to be here in four or five weeks. And... I'll be away again, you know. Yeah. Does does the the, the family travel with you? The the missus and the lad, or do you go alone? Or um, so the only races that um Lauren comes with me is the twenty four hour races. Yeah. Because it's impossible to do it on your own. Yeah. It sounds really hard. It's hard, to, like it sounds really selfish, but in the middle of a twenty four hour race. It's literally like survival. So when I take all my kit off, I, I can't be worried about drying it, cleaning it, checking it. It's as much as I can do just to drop it on the floor in a big pile. Someone has to sort it out. Yeah. And the same as at three in the morning, I can't be walking around thinking, what am I going to have for food? What am I going to do this? What? It's Everything's got to be taken care of. Yeah. Because you don't have extra energy. <laughs> no, so you, you only have the energy to to get you to the end of the race. Yeah. So what's it like? Um, what's it like towards the end of your your fifty minute stint? Are you are you just knackered, worn out, arms hanging off? Or... Do you know what? Actually, when you're on the bike, it's not too bad. Yeah. So I raced at the I raced at the Baldor this year, um, September, and. Riding the bike's not too bad. It's a bit in between where you get off and you're trying to sleep or you're trying to eat and you realise how knackered you are. And you've got to do it all over again and again and again. And that's probably the hardest bit. Yeah. When you put your helmet on and you head out, you forget about that and you just do your job. Yeah. And it's almost easier to ride than what it is to try and sleep. And that's when you realise how hard it is, you know? Yeah. And it is hard, you know, like however fit you are, however much training you've done, it it literally breaks you. And in the middle of a race, it just does such strange things to you. It really yeah. does. Because you're deprived of sleep and, you know, you haven't slept since 8 o'clock Saturday morning and it's now Sunday yeah, I mean, I suppose. Or whatever, I mean, yeah. I suppose with an hour and fo- hour and forty minutes in between your, your stints, after you've had something to eat and had a shower, there is there is no time to get like even ten minutes with your eyes closed, is there? Yeah, for sure, and and it doesn't work like that because you've just been doing the best part of two hundred mile an hour. Yeah, you don't just fall asleep. No, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, good point. It, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> you, yeah. And, but your body tells you that you need to sleep, but your mind's saying, I can't sleep. Yeah. Does and it... you're just in this messed up state. It's it's what... not pretty, if I'm honest. What does 200 mile air feel like? Is, is it the same as 100 mile air, just windier, or is it just flashing by? Um, you laugh, but... So we race at the Baldor, yeah. which is Paul Ricard, and I think it's one of the longest straights. The straight's like one and a half mile long, I think. Yeah. And at the end, we're doing just over 200, I think. I think 205 or 6. But it doesn't feel that fast. Yeah. Because there's no, like, uh, there's nothing around you. There's no reference points. Yeah. But when you smash the brakes at the end of the straight, does it feel fast then? Honestly, not really. Yeah. But if you were to then go to the TT, the Alaman TT, and do that speed, it would feel absolutely unbelievable because all the trees and houses, walls and, and trees and lampposts. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, just going back to how it makes you feel, it it proper kills you. You know, it's 
it's the most grueling thing you can do. Yeah. Because you just you just need sleep and you've got so many different emotions and the pressure and yeah, it just kills you. Yeah. Absolutely kills you. If 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 you had a couple of bad laps in the middle of the stint, would the the team manager pull you straight away or would he or, or would he let you get, let you calm down first? No, honestly, and that's that's one of the good things about endurance is that it doesn't matter because the race is 24 hours long. You lose two or three seconds one lap because you've hesitated overtaking someone or yeah. these yellow. It, it, it's irrelevant in a way, if that yeah. makes sense. The big one, of the most important things is not to panic and just keep calm because the race is so long that you overreact to something and you make something a lot worse than it actually is. Yeah. So yeah, you've just got to keep calm and remember it's a long, long race, you know. More yeah, it's a long race. Have you got a road bike? I haven't, no. Um, Have you ever had one? Or? No. Didn't I, I don't mean to grass you up, but didn't I see you've only recently passed your road test? I passed it this year in July, I think. Um, and that was the first time I've ever ridden on the road. No way. That's crazy. Yeah, the first time. Just, yeah. It's just not, not been interested or? Not been interested. Um, I've only ever ridden a bike to to race a bike or to ride it fast. Yeah. And the thought of commuting to work, or it has no interest yeah. in me whatsoever. Did, did the instructors for your test... Um, find it hard to knock out any bad habits because obviously you've been racing for so long was there anything that had to keep drumming into you to do for what riding on the road yeah so it was real funny actually because my instructor had been instructing for 20 odd years or whatever and he was like you're the first person i've ever had to like just teach to get through the test yeah if that mate yeah that's what i meant yeah sort of mate, yeah, t- yeah there was loads of things i was doing wrong and but only looking over your shoulder and mirroring a signal and do you know what I mean? Yeah. But obviously he couldn't tell me anything about riding a bike, which I think he found quite funny. Did did you know, did he recognise you? (laughs) He knew. Yeah. Yeah. He he knew that I raced, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But it was real enjoyable to be honest. It was, uh, it was quite a cool thing to do. So what was the motivation for you to pass your bike test then? Have you you got a plan to to, to do some Um, road riding or? Yeah, TV so, work or anything like that? Yeah, over the years I've been offered bits and pieces of, of work riding on the road um, for like press launches and for different manufacturers and yeah. stuff. And I've, I've always had to turn it down because I've never had a bike license. And uh, yeah, I just thought, you know what, I'll get it done and I've got it, you know. Yeah. That's class, yeah. man. Absolutely class. You got any more questions, Chris? We've just taken up towards an hour. No, I was going to say like... Obviously, I know you said it's all about earning money now, but like you said about doing the riding, do you get like, you know, like when you see like these movies and you've got like stunt riders and they're doing, you know, say for example, it's a movie about, I don't know, Valentino Rossi and it's all about MotoGP and obviously there's going to be a hell of a lot of track riding in that, that kind of stuff. Is there not, is there much of like a, a thing in that that you could do? And, uh, like when you said about, it's just when you said about TV work, I thought when you look at some of the like the films that have all got like stunt driving and car driving and car racing, they've got to be professional racers, haven't they? Yeah, so I know a couple of people that do. I know a, there's a, a lady racer called Jenny Timmouth. Yeah. And Jenny does a lot of the, oh, what is it, Mission Impossible stuff. Oh, because of course Tom Cruise uh, on yeah. bike. Yeah, like that, and I know she's got a really cool gig there, and she does quite a lot, and I think she does well out of it. Um, but honestly, it's not something that, yeah, I, I would, I don't think I'd really enjoy that. I just enjoy racing, if that makes sense. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, I, obviously, I still love riding bikes as much as I, I always have. It's just the way the sports changed if that makes sense and also growing you know the older i get it's no longer just a hobby do you know what i mean yeah you gotta pay the bills you gotta pay the bills it's my it's my job as well 
to a degree. And uh, do, you, do your family still get involved with your racing? Um, obviously, they were a massive help <laughs> getting getting you into it and stuff. Yeah, so mum and dad were there from from day one, um, and honestly, that only stopped at the end of twenty twenty, really, when I finished in BSB. Yeah. Um, and it's just yeah, it's me grow me growing up and and leaving home and uh, and then racing in the world championship instead of British championship. It just makes everything a lot more difficult for them to stay as it was, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I suppose they got to pay the travel <laughs> to go abroad yeah. rather than jump rather than just and, jump in the car and, and and ride down sort of thing. Yeah, like honestly, they did everything with me up until that point. Every single race meeting, everything. Yeah. But it was just a combination of at that time I moved away. Um, so yeah, I now live in the southwest. Um, and then, like I say, I raced in world endurance. And to be honest, the fact that with the timing with the COVID thing and traveling, it's literally just been a nightmare. Yeah. So that that last year was was a bit of a pain really I had to do yeah. quite a lot of quarantine abroad and it was just a real pain in the yeah end. I suppose you're happy now they've, they've um, changed all the laws today haven't they on, on that so you haven't got to self-isolate when you come back in or you haven't, got to, yeah. you haven't got to have a test before you go out and stuff like that to be honest I was really lucky because of because I had like an exemption oh because so, you're a professional but, sportsman yeah so at this side I never had a problem with anything really it's more when you go to France, or it's more their rules, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's where it becomes a pain. Um, and yeah, last year they were forever changing, and and then it seemed to settle down towards the end of the year, and then it's obviously kicked back off a bit now. But I'm hoping another six eight weeks it'll start to calm down again, really. Yeah, you better start travelling properly. Yeah, I, I am as well because my Christmas present off the missus was tickets to um, the French Grand Prix. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so they need to uh, they need to hurry up and get these restrictions restrictions off in France, so I can go and get drunk oh. watching the Grand Prix. At Paul Ricard, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Paul oh, Ricard. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You re- so we got the three day general. Can you recommend any good any good restaurants around there? <laughs> <laughs> There's not too much that close to the track, to be fair. No, no we're staying. Um, we're staying about an hour and ten minutes away. We're closer to like Saint Tropez and Monaco. Okay, yeah. Uh, just because for something to do for the kids in the days we're not there you know you gotta have something so we just decided we're gonna stop at a euro camps yeah but it's a beautiful part of the world down there though it's really nice yeah we're gonna do a um a game of supercar bingo the one day and go for a little mooch around monaco yeah uh, i'll have to start saving just for like a cup of coffee <laughs> or something just just like, yeah. yeah it's gotta be mental so you know you can buy a car over here for what you can buy a coffee over there. <laughs> <laughs> so. nice. All right then, James. Do you want to say um, thank you to your sponsors before we let you go? Obviously, you can in- include your day job as well if you want. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously, I'm, I'm loving my RC racing as well. And, uh, yeah, I get a bit of help from CML and uh, Moss Models as well. Um, so, yeah, just yeah, – just, I enjoy doing doing that really and uh it's really strange how it's it's so different from bike racing but in some ways so similar as well and you still get the same kick and enjoyment from it and i get i do get really excited for the next meeting you know which is people find find it hard to to believe really doing what i do but i do and uh yeah i just hope to keep improving and uh, chipping away really Nice one, nice one. Um, right then, Chris, do, do you want to um, remind our listeners of um, the draw next Tuesday night? Yeah, I want to remind them again. 8pm, Tuesday night on the Facebook. Um, even while we've been recording this, we've had some uh, some extra little bits added. Uh, one of them off Sam Miguel at Slow Electric Model Car Spares. So he's donating a five-and-a-half-turn racing performer motor. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be thrown in there as well for uh, the judge. Remember, you won't know what you're buying, but it might be something that's over three hundred pounds in value. Okay. So, yeah, make sure you're there, and 
make sure you can be as generous as you possibly can. No problems. Right. Um, do you want to say thank you to the sponsors, Chris, and we'll wrap up? Yes, mate. So a massive thank you, as always, to CML Distribution and to Schumacher Racing. You know, we say every week we can't do this without you guys and we can't do our big Christmas give back to the, the listeners without it. So thank you for all that you're doing for the hobbies. No problems. And I'll just say thank you to the listeners, guys. Thank you very much for getting involved with our car crash of a podcast that we do for you every week. Don't forget, if you've won a prize in the Christmas draw, you need to message me by this weekend, please, um, so I can get all the addresses off to the respective people who are going to be sending the prizes out. Um, Mark Croxford um, won a prize, um, but unfortunately he, he lives in America. So what he said was, um, we can offer his prize, um, to, you know, to a, a local club racer or whatever. So what we'll do is we'll throw his prize back in with the draw next week, which will be, um, I think he won a pack of Rubits rear wings. So what we'll do is we'll throw them in with with, with a poop with um, you know some other stuff, Chris, rather than as a, as a separate item. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's it. Don't forget to like and share. Um, we will see you next week with another UK superstar. So thank you very much. Chris, I'll see you next week. James, thanks very much for your time tonight, mate. We really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. No problem. We'll get we'll get you if, if if you've got a chance, mate. We'll get you back on mid-season for a super bike update. But we'll just go for super bike next time. Um, that all right with you? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Same. See you later, Chris. See you later, mate. Have see a good you both soon. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye.